Sunsets from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. The Spirit is indeed one, and I believe that every speaker here, by the grace of God, has intricately um, woven God's tapestry for this conference. I'm going to say or teach on something very, I think, pivotal, the eternalness or the timelessness of God. The reason man has struggled most of all in all dispensations is because we have not understood the God we serve. The Bible says in Daniel 11, as previous speaker quoted, verse 32, that in they that do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt with flatteries, but they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. If you check it in the original text, exploits isn't present, so shall be strong and do. I define exploits as the ability to thrive in the midst of adversity. Exploits aren't miracles. Exploits aren't wonders. Exploits are the ability to thrive in the midst of hot hostility. And that's why if you read from verse 31, it tells you a whole lot of things that were happening at the time. For which reason he says, they that know their God shall do. They shall do. Praise the Lord. One of the greatest things you can do to the word of God is to make it mundane. Or much more, one of the greatest disservice to the heavenly father is to humanize him. Praise the Lord. Please, are you ready for this journey? So he said, they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. John 17 verse 3 says, this is life eternal, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That means the purpose, like Pastor Eva said yesterday, of eternal life is to know God. God is eternal, so he needs an eternal variation of life to get the full knowledge of him. Hosea 6 verse 3 says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. So in the kingdom, we never arrive. We only make progress. Because God is an infinite subject that can be mastered. The infinite cannot be comprehended with the finite. Your brain is too small to comprehend God. So I like how Paul put it in Hebrews chapter 11. He said, through faith we understand. There are certain parts of God your mind cannot understand. You need faith to understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So I'm going to take you on a journey that to bolster your faith beyond levels. If you know this God, if you know this God, it will change a lot of things in your life. Strangely enough, it seems as if we hear and get, uh, let me give you a typical example. When I write notes, I write everything I hear. Even your examples are right. The reason I do that is because I learned a very interesting lesson in life. When you hear a preacher preach, you often record or text or write what is making sense to you in that moment. So you notice that most of your notes, after a while, when you read it, don't bless you because they answered a situation you were in at the time. But God's educational system is such that when he sends his word, he sends the word. But in the time you fail to capture it, cannot be a blame game on God because he sent your answer before your problem came. But you didn't think you needed that information because at that time, you were thinking of marriage. 
So I write everybody. I write everybody. So that by the time I am praying and I go like, someone says something that blessed my heart. I go like, okay, okay, yeah, 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 that's it. And I go and pick it up. And that's what happens in my spirit. I mean, when she was preaching, she said something about Smyrna that blessed my heart. Absolutely blessed my heart. That there's something about Smyrna. Because of affliction, they had no wrong. Number two, the way they could live through affliction was the revelation Jesus gave them, resurrected life. That means you can't use human life for affliction. You must understand resurrection to go through problems. This human life is not designed for problems. It's a resurrected life that enjoys problems because resurrection is that which goes through death and is empowered to be excited. So when death comes, you face it with resurrection. <laughs> Amen. Now, I'm speaking on the eternalness of God or the timelessness of God. Genesis 1-1 tells us a very interesting story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that definition in the Hebrew, you know, Elohim, Hashemayim, Ha'iretz, you know, Bara, Hashemayim, Ha'iretz, meant that God, in fact, in the Hebrew is plural. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what that meant was that God was God before there was heaven and earth. That means God stayed in a place where he could begin beginning so that without him, beginning could not begin. John 1 said it. He said, in him is life and he is the light that lighted every man that came to the earth. Nothing was made without him. That is. So God dwelt in a realm where he was contained, self-satisfied, self-pleasured. Nothing outside God made God. If you do not understand this truth, you will think that your disobedience and your sin frustrates God. But the frustration of God is not at the parallel of the fact that you sinned and God is angry. It is at the parallel that God is jealous for you and not of you. Because if he's jealous of you, then he wants what you have. But he gave you what you have. So he's jealous for you because you don't even understand what you have been given. That's what it means. So if I come to this truth, then strangely again, as it is written clearly in the scriptures, but we seem to gloss over it. It was God who was looking for man. Man was not looking for God. I heard thy voice in the cool of the day and I went hiding. So news flash: we didn't find God. He wasn't missing. We left. So he said in Revelations 2, 5, 6, he says, return to your first love. It means where he is, he is still there. You must come back. Please, are we together? Yes. Hallelujah. Please, are we together? Yes. All right. So if God predates time, then we have to now understand how his name even became. Now, there are many things scripture does not overtly say to us. But if you take your time to study it, the reason why people struggle with the terminology of Jesus himself, who says, you know, he has said you are God's unto whom the word of God came. Then he also said in um, Psalm 82, verse 6, that ye are God's, but you die like mere men. So the reason why people struggle with that terminology is because when we say we are God's, 
we think we are talking about Elohim in his fullness. But when he says we are gods, he's talking of Elohim in his office. So like Pharaoh is a title, God is a title. Are we good here? All right. So that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the verse number 4, that the God of this world has blinded the earth. So even Satan is called a God. How much more the offsprings of God. The creation of God is called a God. How much more the offsprings of God. Please, are we here? All right. I'm following after um, the queen. I'm also breaking tables. But I'll show you from scripture so that you know that the tables are well intended to be broken. Amen. God now appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Now, he's, an, he's, he's been shepherding for 40 years now. And then God does something remarkable. It's not strange that fire should set a tree up in the wilderness. But for some reason, he says, he turns aside from the back of the wilderness. Now, I'm shocked because there is nothing behind dryness. But he says there was a mountain at the back end of the wilderness. And it had caught fire, yet it was not consuming. So he says he would turn to see what sight this is. Please note this down. I might come here, but let me see in case I don't come here. Sometimes God allows heat for you to turn aside. Sometimes God allows a car crash for you to go back to inquiry. Because God was letting the bush burn, was not consuming, and Moses had to turn and say, what's going on? And when Moses turns and gets there, an angel speaks, he says, where you stand is holy ground, take off the sandals off your feet, and the Bible says the angel of his presence, then he gets closer and God now introduces himself to Abraham, sorry, Moses. And says to Moses that, I'm the God of thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I've come before, you know, I've heard their cry, I'm here to deliver them. Then he says, when I go, he says, I'm sending you to go and deliver them. Then he said, when I go, what should I tell them or who has sent me? He said, tell them that I am that I am. And Moses said, sir, that name is a problem. It's a problem. In fact, in chapter 4, in chapter 6, verse 3, he says that your fathers knew me. And when Moses was communicating to them, he explained what God said to him that he didn't write. He said, your fathers knew me as almighty El Shaddai. But he, they didn't know me as I am. What that means is that, ladies and gentlemen, with all due respect, Sidekeno, Rafi, Rafa, Shama are all revelations of men. Jairah. Bible says when he provided the lamb for Abraham, he called the place, he called him Jairah. So they are revelations. But the name of God, that God himself said, I'm called, is I am. And that's a realm we cannot compete with him. Because when he says, I am, what is I am? I'm Adam. So as soon as I mention my name, most of the times as immigrations, they say, are you from Calabar? Are you an acquired person? Because you see Adam. And then you look tall and fair. And sometimes you wear, you, you, I mean, you're coming, you know, you're, you're native. So they assume you're Nigerian. Are you really Nigerian? Bring your Ghana card. All those hecklings over there. I, I should find out for my grandfathers who migrated. No, that kind of thing. <laughs> 
But the long and short of the story is, because of my name, I can be traced. But God said, if I add anything after I am, I have limited the infinite. So it means that to describe God is to limit him. That's why when the angels see him, they say, holy. And they've been shouting holy, not in unison, because it's rehearsed. You know that, that picture you have, like, we get to heavy walls, wear choir ropes, and we are just standing there. We are in a big choir in heaven, and we together with the dead saints are singing hallelujah, hallelujah, and your face looks like you don't want to be there, but because we are in heaven, what can we do? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So someone says heaven is boring, because you don't understand. He said, when they saw the glory, Isaiah 6, they said one to, they were not even saying to God. They said one, and they were seraphs who have been with the ancient one, but they said one to another, holy, and they are covered. So even in covering, they could behold a little, sir. And they said, holy, holy. So it's not a unison triumphant declaration. It's actually a spectacle of awe. Uncommon. Uncommon, they speak in heaven. And why is it so? Why is it so? They struggled with this I amness of God. Now, the name I am, where we get the name Jehovah or Yahweh, speaks of something high and majestic. Now, if he says I am, he's communicating a self-existent selfhood. What that means is that I exist in myself. God does not dwell, I like what Pastor Eva said yesterday, in heaven. I know, yes, I know. But you didn't read it right. The Bible says, our Father, which art? God is not a which, he's a who. Matthew 6, 9, the prayer. Please put it there so they know I'm not lying. Some people are like, which Bible says in the King James Version. He says, our Father, which art in heaven? Okay. Okay, Psalm 8 verse 1. Psalm 8 verse 1. O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name, who has set thy glory. Ah, where are you now? Don't, don't confirm that I'm lying, sir. Matthew chapter 9 verse, Matthew 6 verse 9. So they can see, I want them to see it. Matthew 6 verse 9, quickly. Because I am, this knowledge is important. No wonder Paul said, I count all things but dank. He says what? Let's read together, I want to go. How can God be called a witch? God is not witch. He's a who? You know, you say because of your perception. So when you are reciting the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art? No, the text says which art. Never said God is in heaven. Isaiah 66 says, the heavens is my throne. He sits on it. It's the seat of government. So which art means he's talking of his power, not his person. Then he says, in Psalm 8, verse 1, now we can go there. He says, God has set his glory above the heavens. We are called, he said, the God of glory, the glory of all grace, who has called us, 1 Peter 5, who has called us, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. See what he says. He has set the glory above the heavens. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. Can we go there? He has, he has, aha, uh -huh, he has called us to glory. We are not called to heaven. We are called to glory. Because heaven is a tentative place that allows the human soul to go on an excursion. 
awaiting the resurrection of their bodies. So even in rapture, we'll spend seven years in heaven. We are coming back. We are called to glory. <laughs> That's why he said, who has called us unto eternal, not unto heaven, glory. Mm. We'll go there. Let's go. So God does not dwell in heaven. He dwells in glory. Now what that means is that the, if heaven is where God stays, then heaven has the environment for God to be God. The moment you say God dwells in heaven, it means heaven is higher has the capacity to sustain God. But God is self-sustaining. God is self-composed. Has no, He composes all things, but has no composition in himself. He's the constituent of everything, but he has no constitution. So when we talk about God, in fact, I tell you the truth, the best person who could even ascend that truth for a while was Adam. Since Adam... There has been a problem. They didn't know God. No one has ever seen God at any time. John 1.18 says, Except the one and only who came from the Father, he has declared him. At any time, sir, it conflicts everything we've ever thought about. Even Moses didn't see God. Jesus said it himself. No one. And he added at any time to tell them that that statement you read, that Moses saw God, was not entirely accurate. He saw his back parts and he says, I will declare my name. So it was the name of God he saw, not the person of God. And even that one, remember how he did it. Can you imagine God put him in a cleft of a rock and he said, out of that place, how can you see through an opaque object? So God put him in the cleft of the rock and the picture is this, Exodus 33. And as he's going, sir, his hand covers the rock and he shows his back. So God was like Fantastic Four, you know, Elastic Man. You know. And the hand was outstretched whilst covering Moses because if he sees him without the capacity to behold and hold him intact, he will perish. <laughs> Are we here? I want you to understand this, our God. So you can come to appreciation that everything they are telling us, I probably I might get the chance, I might not, is this. The finishing generation is the generation of John the Beloved. That beloved generation, Peter was the generation of works. First Peter 2 says, who did no sin? He knew how to do things. That was the church trying to do things. That is the religious system. It has nothing to do. Christianity is culture. A way of life, not religion. Religion is trying to meet God by effort. God has met us. What effort again? What effort again? In fact, sir, there I say this. God intended to become a culture so that just as culture is in the present, men don't need faith to mimic culture. So God needed to create a system where even without faith, you will live out God because he's culture. <laughs> Hallelujah. Please wave your hands to Jesus Christ. People told me I should make sure I, I land on my points. So taking my time. So we go. I'm not, I'm not flying. Am I taking the cool? Amen. So what that now brings our minds to is this. That this God has never been seen by any man. 
Because there's something about his eternalness called the solitariness of God. God didn't create angels for himself. Error. Hebrews 1.14, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister? So they were ministering spirits for the people who will be heirs of salvation. I have nothing to do with God. God doesn't need an angel to be God. Please, let's get it right. He doesn't, he doesn't need an angel to be God. No. He is God. All by, it's a song you sing. All by himself. That means that before the first word came out of God's mouth, before the first Sarah flew with flaming fire, before the first cherub manifested the dimensions of God, God was God, self-satisfied, self-pleasured, self-contained, and self-existent. If you are struggling with that, I'll show you something. The Bible now says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that if this spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then it shall quicken your mortal bodies. Then in Romans chapter 6, the verse number 4, it said, therefore, as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So he's calling the Spirit the glory of the Father. Then Jesus prays a prayer. In John 17, the verse number 5, he said, Father, O Father, glorify thou me with that same glory which I had with you before the world ever was. That means there was a realm God was in called glory. So can I tell you something today? Where God stays is called spirit. The house of God is the spirit. So God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So where God dwells is the realm of the spirit. And we breathe oxygen here. But God breathes spirit. So actually, God breathes himself. So when God breathes, didn't you hear what the scripture says? And he breathed into Adam, the spirit. So the out-breathing of God is spirit. The in-breathing of God does not breathe oxygen, ladies and gentlemen. No, that's why he can exist in space. He can exist on mass. No location can restrict his breathing pattern. His spirit, he breathes spirit, he stays in spirit. And all of that is himself. Because if you don't know this, you understand why. Many times you are eager for God to perform. And God is laughing and saying, you don't understand. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, the verse 11, he says, when God sends forth his word, it does not return to him void until it has performed all that which it was sent to do. Why? Because while you are man, you need 50, 70 years for the performance of God's word. Go read the scripture. Those who violate the covenants of God. He said, he will in no wise forgive the unjust and he will visit judgment unto them, even to the tenth generation. And we forget that is judgment. But we don't think about it with blessing and his word. Did you not hear what he said to Abraham? In thy seed shall all nations be blessed. So when God gives you a word, perhaps you might not see it in your lifetime, but he didn't lie. Because somebody after you will carry it. He spoke from a realm called eternal. You are thinking in the realm of time. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, he said of a truth, the less is blessed by the greater. And Levi, before he ever took tithe, paid tithe in the loins of Abraham. That means that when God gives you a word, all your children that will ever be born received it too. 
that's the realm of eternity. That's the timelessness of God. If you know his timelessness, you know he can never lie. He can never. He said, for, he said, oh, by two immutable things by which it is impossible for God to lie. God confirmed the promise with an oath because the oath is to an end to the people that commit striving the end of all his promise. Kali Maharas. And when he said, I am, he says, I can't be defined, sir. I'm self-contained. I'm self-satisfied. Have you not noticed the reason we were created was for pleasure? For pleasure. That means there's nothing you came to add to God. The only thing I can say categorically is because this. First John 4 said, God is love. But when you say you are love, we have to ask, what are you loving? Because you can't say, I'm love or I love. You ask what? So the moment God says, I'm love, we ask him a question. What do you love? That means that all God created man was, according to Ephesians 1 verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. Before before the word, the, oh come on, the word here is overthrow. So you check something very interesting. Ah, Father, help me. In Revelation 13, verse 8, the lamb was slain from, not before. Revelation 13, 8. Go there. The lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the world. From, look at that, from. But when he chose us, that means he had to die after there was an overthrow. When man fell, the lamb had to be slain. So the lamb was not slain before. But the purpose before was that we will be holy before him in love. Ephesians 1.4. That means that at every given time of your existence, God does not measure your prayer. He does not measure your fasting. Neither does he measure your prophecy. He measures your in love index. That's what she said. Ephesians, the Ephesus church, they were praying they were fasting. They were sensitive to the spirit. But they had lost something Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians 2. He said, I remember your works of faith, your labor of love, and your hope of patience. But when he came to Revelations 2, they have lost all of that. They have works, they have faith, they have patience. No hope, no love, no labor. They just have labor without faith. They have labor, sorry, without love. They have faith without works. Uh, uh, they have works without faith, and they have hope without patience. I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Ladies and gentlemen, this is actually the truth of the timelessness of God. I'm taking my time because it's not a doctrine that's mostly spoken about. In Psalm 90, the verse 1, it said, The song of Moses, the man of God. I like, I like that introduction. The song of Moses, the man of God. Oh God. Thou hast been at dwelling places in all generations. He said, before the foundations of the earth. So before, the, he said, thou art and thou was. 
And the Bible says, thou art God. It said, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Then he speaks about something very intrinsic. That God is staying in the realm. That before the earth was ever fashioned, before the earth was ever formed, before creation occurred, God dwelt in a realm. A realm that without creation, he didn't need validation. He was God before he ever created anything in this life. Lift your hands to Jesus Christ. Wave it to him. Please, if you can. I don't know if you sing this song in this country. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the miracle working God. He's the miracle working God. He's the miracle working God. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the miracle. Now, he now brings us to the truth about who he is in his eternalness. And this truth is simply this. God is apart from time. God is not affected by time. So it means that everything God says is different from what man says. There's something called Amar and there's something called Dabar. Dabar is the speaking of God, Amar is the speaking of man. Man's words die. God's words eternally echo. So what it means is that God's word, when he speaks it, never returns to him until it has accomplished, even in the years of the generations to come. But this is the part we get it all wrong. If God is timeless, why am I going through what I'm going through? Doesn't he know what I'm doing? Doesn't he understand what is going on in my life? Well, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, the verse number 6, it says, I'm the Lord thy God and I change not. The immutability of God is a product of his eternalness. Because God is eternal, he does not change. What he was yesterday, he is tomorrow. Please follow me. What he was what yesterday, he is what tomorrow. And to God, whilst you are concerned about a lot of things, God sits in heaven and laughs. Because where God sits is what we call higher perspective. One day I was dealing with God on this matter of his eternalness. And he says, I'm immutable. Immutable means I don't vary. Neither do I improve. God is not an improvement of himself. In fact, God cannot be better because the day he ever spoke, he was the best. He is called the everlasting contemporary. Daniel and John in Revelation 1 saw a man with white hair as wool and as snow. Snow does not change color. So God does not have gray hair. He has white hair. Gray is the fading of black. But white is natural color. So his hair is white as wool. His hair is what? White as wool. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. His hair is what? White as wool. Just like snow. Snow does not change color. It is what it is. Yet, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 5 that my beloved's locks are black as the coals of Zion. So, on one side, he's having black hair. On another side, 
As Daniel said in the book of Daniel, he saw the ancient of days seated in majesty and his hair was white as wool. That's why we call God the everlasting contemporary and the eternal now. So eternity is now with God. Because where God stands in the realm of timelessness, past, present, and future have already happened. If you actually read the Tanakh or the original Hebrew Bible, there is no future tense. In the literal Hebrew, you have to read the Hebrew text or the Torah by faith. That means when he says, in blessing I'll bless you, the Hebrew says, I have blessed you and I've made you and a father. It's already done. I'm not now come to do it. I'm not, I'm not now come to do it. God is not saying, I will. So the, and even in the Hebrew, when he says, let there be light, it's a humanistic communication because of Grecian doctrine. You see, the Bible was influenced by dialects. Have you ever tried reading your Bible in the Yoruba? You can see they bring nuances from culture. It's not really how, that's, but that's the best description of how the English put it. But the English also came from original dialect. It's a little different from the Quran, which is read in Arabic, taught in Arabic, and written in Arabic. So what happens is this. God is not now come to bless you. He has blessed you. He has blessed you. Omale fretasaya. And can I even say it this way? The word is eulogia. Where you get eulogy. Two words in the Greek. You, E-U, good. Logi, logos, words. So, eulogy is good words. So, actually, she read it, Genesis 1, 28. And the Lord God blessed them, comma, and said. Now, if you do a little English, when you put comma, and, it means by this. So, what that means is that when God was blessing them, you will be fruitful. You will multiply, replenish the earth, have dominion was not a command. It was a blessing. That was the blessing. So your dominion is a blessing. Your control of the affairs of the earth is the blessing. He says, and he blessed them, comma, and said, and God said. So the blessing content is the fruitfulness, is the multiplication, having dominion. That was the blessing. He spoke well of them. He spoke well of them. But God had to be in a realm apart from time to say these things. Now, I, I hope you've got this understanding very well. Now, let me give you another definition so that we can move a little bit deeper. Now, this definition is this. In all scripture, there are two very important scriptures concerning salvation and our blessings in righteousness. You go to the book of Isaiah, you see things like everlasting father, everlasting salvation, everlasting righteousness. He said, people's righteousness shall be everlasting. But when you come to the, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews chapter 9, he speaks from verse 12 about, number one, eternal redemption. When you get to verse 14, he speaks of the eternal spirit. Verse 15 now speaks of the eternal inheritance. You know, he speaks about eternal salvation, according to Hebrews chapter 5. So, Hebrews 5, he speaks about, Hebrews 5 verse 9, he speaks about eternal redemption. Eternal, sorry, salvation. Now, in the new covenant, we see the word eternal concerning what God does. In the old covenant, the word is everlasting. Please, are you following me? The only time the word eternal was used is, was in Deuteronomy chapter 33, the verse number 26. It says, oh, there is none like the God of Jeshuron. He said, who rideth? He rideth and thy help. And he says, in also the excellency of the sky. Then the Bible says in verse 27 of Deuteronomy 33, he says, the eternal God is thy refuge. That's the only time the word eternal was used there. In the whole Old Testament, the word eternal for God was never used. The reason is because eternal and everlasting are different, technically. 
Everlasting means it has a beginning, but it don't have an end. So for instance, the Christian is not in the new covenant. We are in the everlasting covenant, technically. Because if you say the Christian is in the new covenant, we should have had the old. But the old was not given to us. Two minutes. So he says, there is a term of contract called, he has blessed us with the everlasting covenant. Hebrews 13 says, Christ was raised from the dead and by the blood of the everlasting covenant. We don't have a first covenant. So the only covenant the believer has is everlasting covenant. And the terms are similar to the new covenant. <laughs> That's why our story is different from Hebrews chapter 8. He said, in that day, but our day has already come by salvation. He said, in that day, I'll be their God. And I will teach them. No one needs another to teach them. That's not what he was saying to Christians. He was saying to the Hebrews, the Jews, not us. Why are you still struggling with God? Paul said, I count all things back dank. You know what Paul said in Hebrews chapter 3? He said, beware of dogs. Beware of the concession. Beware of evil workers. He said, for we are the circumcision of God. And who have no confidence in the flesh, but rejoice in the Lord. He said, if it comes to the flesh, I speak as a fool. Circumcised on the eighth day. A Jew of Jews. Concerning the law, blameless. He began to give his pedigree. He said, but all these things I once counted as gain. I counted as loss for the apprehension of the excellency of the knowledge of God. Everything you were created for was to know God. You see, you are calling it science, but it is a portion of the omniscience, the omniscient one. The word omniscient is the same word for omniscience. Omniscience. Check it. Science. That's why when a witch doctor is bewitching you, they put you into something. They call it science. It's the same word, science. We have part science. God is all science. He's all knowledge. Somebody follow me tonight. This afternoon. This is the secret to his timelessness. In his timelessness, he had a concept. And his concept is this. I created man to walk with him in the cool of the day. And in that place, Bible says he planted in Genesis chapter 2, the verse 8, the east part of the garden. The Hebrew says Kadem. And the word Kadem is the eternally eastward. That means that God said, I put Adam in an eternal hot spot. That hot spot was for eternity. So that until man fell, Sabbath was eternal. The seventh day had no evening or morning. It was when man fell, Sabbath ended. That is why Jesus said, my father used to work and rested, but man truncated the work. So now my father is working, so I also work. And what is the work of God? Please and please again. It's not miracles. In fact, there I said, I said to you earlier on, Peter was the, the man who brought works. And that was actually, excuse me to say, no, no, okay, let me just shake the table. That was Catholicism, works, penance, purgatory, the sale of indulgence, praying at funerals for somebody's soul to rest in peace. Your works follow you, not the prayers. It don't change anything. It's religious ceremonies. It does nothing. It's just, we are fine. 
We are just fine enjoying the meeting like, oh, you are going to hell, but your soul is not resting in any peace. It's resting in pieces. <laughs> you know what you did? Because as a funeral, you don't see anything bad about the dead. Well, their works have followed them. Wherever they are, they are there. Because after all, you bury them after a month. So are they waiting on earth? You know, so it brings a lot of superstition that a spirit roams on the earth for 40 days before it It's a lie. It's appointed to man to die once after death, not two weeks after. After. <laughs> Wherever you are, you are. <laughs> <Is> somebody here. <laughs> Follow what I'm saying. So, what this means is that Peter brought works. Then Paul now brought knowledge. So he says in First Peter, Second Peter chapter five, the verse twenty-one. He said, in, "He said, who knew no sin? Because Paul was a man of knowledge, intellect. But when he came to John in John chapter three, speaking about sin, he said, in him was no sin. Why was John the in him man? John twenty-one said, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go." But the day is coming, you'll be old. Then you'll be led by others. Then after all that, Peter was concerned about John. Because Peter was never, he, was, he, he, he just heard God say he's about to die and become weak. And he said nothing about John. Then he pointed and said, what about this one? He said, what is it to you if he tarries till I come? And some people have made the doctrine that Apostle John is still alive. But John himself clarified in the last two verses of John 21. The master did not say that the disciple shall not die. But rather, if he tarries till I come, what is it to you? He said, I who write this is a true witness and testify of this thing. That means John said, I was the one they were talking about. And I'm testifying that Jesus didn't say I will die. He said, if I tarry till he comes. Jesus was speaking prophetically. That prophetic symbolism was concerning a generation he mentioned. That this generation will not pass until the end comes. He was trying to tell us that the coming of Christ and the revival we expect is not that of signs, wonders, miracles, and breakthroughs. It's a revival of intimacy. Men that will go back to the first order. The order of men that wake up in the morning, they walk up to God. They get a job because of God. They are, they are prospering because of God. They don't relocate for fun. They go because God sent them. When they choose a wife, it's because of God. When they endure affliction, it's because of God. In that day, men will cease to complain and will become a wonder. Baba said it yesterday, our faith terrifies them because like a Viper fasting to Paul and he was not poisoned. He rather shook it off because his whole goal was that I must enter Rome. So even the viper could not distract him because Rome is my target. And no wonder Romans 16 he said, greet them that are of the household of Caesar. You know what he had done? He had warned the wife, Pompeia of Nero. So Nero had a church in his own house and he was not aware. Because Paul had a target. There is coming a day when men will love God more than their life. So that you will say, in the last day, some of you enter prison. That means in that day, some of us will not debate and fight wrong convictions. We'll say, we are going to the prison. They themselves will release us. They gave you two years there, but you're like, I'm not done. I need five years. I'm the pastor of the prison's hell. Because something is about to hit the earth. When the people arise that are not afraid to die, the devil is in trouble. Having to notice all you are going through is because of the fear of death, the fear of failure, the reputation before men. So you can't find men who are truly broken. We hide behind facades and bodyguards and all of that. You can be powerful and you can be maltreated. They will insult you somewhere, but in two minutes you say, be healed. And the same people who are inspecting you at the airport are being slain by the power of the Holy Ghost. And when they say, who made them fall? They will come and point this crony young man who seems to be aloof. In his own realm. A day is coming, some of you will raise that man. And he will not put it on social media. 
a day is coming you walk by your shadow heal the sick and nobody has to know about it it is your individual private practice nobody got to know about it God told me he says one of the things our generation has to fight he said there are two things I write to the church of 2023 he that overcomes social media and sexual problems two sexual problems and he that overcomes sexual problems and social media the same shall overcome <laughs> yes yes so Baba said yesterday we are too distracted in our generation we are not focused on the prize but he said something in March when we went for Pastor Chintok's service it blessed my heart he said who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross he said Jesus embraced the cross so as I meditated the Lord said I enjoyed the endurance somebody must enjoy pain oh you have to enjoy it have to. He said, Paul said, ay, 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 ay. Let me just go into the timeless operation of God. Now, so when God is acting, this is how he acts. Now, listen to me very well, please. In Genesis 1, from verse 1 to 17, 13, God was creating a different realm. The heavens, the firmaments, the light, all that. Because there was no day or morning. There was no sun or moon. It was verse 14, the sun and the moon came to rule the day and the night. That means there was a realm of operation, sir, that had evening and morning. And in the Hebrew, evening and morning is chaos and order. It had nothing to do with sunset or sunrise. That's why I say weeping may endure for a night. That means that you can be in night whilst the sun is shining. Because you are in chaos. But joy comes in the morning. Morning means order. That's why most of your seeds sprout in the night. And it's in the morning you see, oh, there's a bloom. Because it happens in the night. Even that law holds for the resurrection power. Jesus had to result in the morning. Because in the morning order comes. Now this is the secret. This is the secret. Please follow me. When it got to day 14, God created what we call time. Time is a creation. Time is a creation by God. So he created the sun, the moon, the stars. Then he says, these shall be for times and for seasons. Now this is the part I want to bring your mind to. Though God is timeless, God works in time. Let me repeat it. God is timeless but works in time. So the timings of God are connected to his timelessness. Furthermore, this implies that anything God is doing, he's already done. The Bible says in Roman, Revelation 3.14, he said, that saith the amen, the true and the faithful witness, the beginning of the creation of God. How do you introduce yourself as the amen before beginning creation? Because Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning. God is the chef that tells you you have a car because food is ready. God does not tell you you have a car because I'm now going to cook it. By the time God comes and says, you have a car, it means food is ready. Do you even know, according to the operations of scripture, when God was presenting the church unto himself, Ephesians chapter 5, the verse 27, without spot, without wrinkle, in the text, the original sentence is already done. God is not now going to present a church with it. He has already presented it. It's already done. Because of eternalness, he can do it once and for all and nobody can hold him bound. Number two, in John chapter 10, 19 verse 30, when he shouted on the cross, it is finished! And he gave up the spirit. That scripture, it is finished. In the original text, the tense is perfect tense. Perfect tense means it has already occurred. It cannot be improved. Nothing can change it. That means when Jesus said it is finished, nothing can finish the finished. 
It is already finished. And he spoke in perfect tense. One day he even forgave somebody and the Jews were angry. You know why? The language he used annoyed them. He said, your sins are forgiven you. It's also perfect tense. He was telling the man, your sins that you are yet to do, I've already forgiven it. And the people said, how dare you? How dare you even forgive him of what he's yet to do? The problem is not forgiving him now. It is what you are. I'm saying, even the ones you are yet to do, you are forgiven. Look, if you are not forgiven, you cannot come to mercy. You don't get it. Because scripture said the soul that sins must die. That means the day you violated wrong thoughts, the day you insulted, on the spot you should have died. But we have the anointing of priesthood like Aaron. The day he spoke against his brother, judgment came on him. Miriam didn't have an effort, so she was not protected. Read scripture well. The day God was done with Aaron, he said, take the effort off his chest. Where he stood, he couldn't take another step. That means he was a living dead man. But priesthood kept him alive. Because what he carried is what prevents judgment. We carry the token of the blood. So when he sees us, even though God wants to strike, and not because he wants to strike, his justice is finding you. When the, the destroying angel comes, it does not care who is in the house. As long as you're in the house. That is why Numbers 11, 5 and 6 said, there was a mixed multitude. Do you know where the non-Jews that came? It was not only Jews that were saved. It means some Nubians, some Ethiopians, some Egyptians even entered the camp. That's why they had engineering to formulate a calf. Because it was not just Jews. Some Egyptians were in the camp. Because the Egyptians who ate garlic. They ate, slaves don't eat garlic and cucumber and fish. Ah, yeah, yeah. Read what the scripture says. See what it says. It said, ah, yeah, yeah. See what the next verse, verse 6, verse 6. So you can see that. It said, but now they are so dry. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Verse 7, verse 7. All right. When you go um, from verse 4, you realize that as soon as these people complained, the very people who had been in slavery also joined the complaint. They were not part of the complaint because they're not eating the things they are describing. Somebody has eaten it for them and they are saying, ah, we also remember, it's true, it's true, it's true. It's true, it's true. It's true. That my former life was very anointed than this one. I mean, guys used to propose to me, since I became a Christian, nobody even sees my beauty again. And, uh, you were fine until your friend had that conversation with you. Say, it's true, it's true, I can realize. Friday night was chilling, it was nice, but... Since the everyday church, 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 pray, 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 pray. I've even lost my beauty. Look at how today I'm fasting, today I'm slimming down. My clothes don't work again. Like every day you are just adjusting clothes. What's going on in my life? From time to time you see a cold beer, you are, you are, all your throat is just bubbling. Like, Self control. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. You should know your God. You should know your God. You should know your God. He said, Our God is a rock. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, it says our God is a rock. He does not change. And if he does not change, that means what he has said will by all means come to pass. It's called the immutability of his counsel. That means that God will even employ a donkey to make what his word has said come to pass. Don't doubt God. Don't doubt God. Forget people who say they won't mind you again. If God has sworn that in blessing I'll bless you. <laughs> it's just about collaboration so that in your lifetime it will not be postponed. Because like Baba said yesterday, the fathers before us also thought they were the finishing generation. But per adventure, they did certain things. I'll give you a typical example. David was chosen to build the temple. Go read the Bible. In fact, Onan and what were, uh, um, the, the, the son of Onan and Eir, they, they were supposed to be the fathers of the children of Tamar. That's why their names were still mentioned. The moment you commit a crime and your name is still kept there, it implies you were chosen. But they decided to spill their seed on the floor. And there's nothing God will fight. And go check it. The reason why God killed them was because 
God is impartial to the violation of his son. As soon as you try to prevent, because you check it in Matthew chapter 1, all the people that were mentioned was Zara and Pharez. That means these boys were preventing Jesus from coming. That's why God slew them. God slew. Anytime you violate the appearance of Christ, God won't spare you. Because he's jealous over his son. He said, thou didst not sanctify me before Israel. So you enter the promised land. Anytime you violate the type, because the type was strike the rock in Exodus 17, the judgment of Christ. But in Exodus Numbers 20, you speak to the rock. In the new creation, you speak, you don't strike. But they strike it twice. And number two, the revelation of salvation had come to Israel. But do you know what Moses called the Israelites? Ye rebels. And God said, I don't call them rebels. I call them my children. Why are you calling them rebels? Because you did not sanctify me. You will not enter the promise. Because he has violated type. This is the reason why we live. That means the moment you have eternal life, we become types of Christ. Anytime you violate it, you've lost inheritance. I always say it nicely. Salvation is a scholarship. Works is the placement in the school. So we've all received salvation. We have, scholar we have scholarship in Harvard. But whether you be valedictorian, first, second, third class, is based on what you do. If you don't study, though you got a scholarship, your scholarship will not give you first class. So scholarship is the blood of Jesus. But what you do with the blood and the sanctifying power of Christ is what brings you here. Lastly, let me just show you this. And then we pray. In the timelessness of God, everything we do is timed. Let me repeat it. In the timelessness of God, everything we do is timed. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says, time and chance happens to them all. The Bible now says in Acts chapter 17 verse 26, that God has made of all men under the earth or under the heavens of one blood and has appointed their times and seasons and their places of habitation. He has determined it. Yes. And the word time says, the word kairos. Now hear me now. God dwells in a realm where his word is already settled. You notice that in Matthew, Jesus told the, the church that upon this rock I'll build my church in Matthew chapter 16. Then he says in uh, chapter 18 that where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. Then he says, if any of you shall attach and agree on any matter, it shall be done for you. Because whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The original text actually says, whatever you bind on earth, what has already been bound in heaven will manifest itself here. That's what it means. What it means is this. In the realm of heaven, oh, Wave your hands to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, eternity does not, it's not the place God also lives. I intentionally told you that God dwells in glory, not eternity. Please follow what I'm saying very well. Glory is where God is, not eternity. And I said glory is his spirit. God dwells in himself. That is the timelessness of God. God is apart from time and anything that has a time construct to it. Eternity is not where God dwells. In fact, technically, eternity rather dwells in God. Eternity is the realm which affords God an unfolding from the place of vastness into the place where he can further reduce himself to enter time. Eternity is the location where God has been given permission to unfold his vastness. So Solomon said in 1 Kings chapter 8, the heavens, 
The heavens of the heavens cannot contain you. So God is not in heaven and even the heavens of the heaven. He is not there. So he gave that realm an opportunity to unfold himself to be there. So that Psalm 113, the verse 5 and 6 says, Thou art a God that humbleth thyself to behold the things which are in heaven and on earth. So for God to even look at heaven is a humility. <laughs> he has to humble, reduce himself. So he can look. No, you, <laughs> I, I, wish you can, I wish you can see this God I'm talking about. For God to behold the things in heaven, he has to humble, not enter. Humble. Then what does he do to enter? Much more, what? took place before he entered the womb. The El Shaddai is the multi-breasted one. But he once upon a time entered the womb and suckled on one breast. And God lent obedience. Because some of you don't understand the kenosis of Christ. It has to do with his timelessness. God is desperate when it comes to love. Please hear me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's not for salvation. Revelation 3.20 is to a church that are drowned in opinions. Laodicea. They are drowned in personal opinions. So all the churches said to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right, to the angel in the, uh, what do you call it? So when you go there, Revelation, go to Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, uh, Revelation chapter 2 verse 1, you see it. Every church, to the angel of the church in Sardis, in Ephesus, in. But when he came to Laodicea, he said to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, he is not in it, they own it. That's why he was outside the door. The church owns the church. So Jesus was outside, he said, I'm knocking. Jesus is not even in the church, he said, I'm outside. So I'm knocking, please. Can you open me? And one day I had a vision. I said, Lord, what was this? And I saw the Lord, like this room. The Lord will knock here. The Lord will knock here. And I said, what is happening? He said, have you not read what the scripture said in James chapter 4? Ye adulteress and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He said, for us it is written. He said, the spirit lasted unto envy. It means the Holy Ghost is a junkie for love. I know you are religious, so you didn't get what I said. That means that he needs love. He needs people who can receive love. That is why God has no favorites but intimates. As soon as you become intimate for God, you, are, you, have, you have changed rank. You've changed rank. You've changed rank. Intimacy. The revival we are about to get is men who know God. They don't know cars. They don't know, they don't know properties. They know God. They know God. And to know God is not religious. To know God is to live God in the restaurant. It's to walk into the washroom and God is with you. And someone does not know you, but as soon as they see you, they go like, sir, sir. Smetogu said had that testimony. He went to a restaurant and after eating, he just came out of the, he went to use the washroom, sir. As soon as he finished the washroom, Smith came outside. And when he came outside, everybody in the restaurant had knelt down. And he said, what is this? He said, sir, there's something you have. What, what, who are you? He said, I'm a pastor. He said, please give us what you have. Without speaking, when men become palanquins. Look, a man like Joseph was once that man. Do you know what the scripture said? A heathen saw Yahweh with a man in chains. Genesis 39, verse 1. He came with the Ishmaelites as a slave. But verse 2, then they saw that the Lord was with him. And he was a prosperous man. So prosperity is the quantity of God upon a man. The amount of God you carry is your prosperity. Otherwise, you will be like Solomon. Vanity upon vanity. And isn't it amazing? What Solomon calls vanity is what we call blessing. Same things. So anything you call blessing without God will soon be vanity. Prosperity is the extent of how much God builds over a man. I have a million dollars, but Kimura and Zalasha. 
I'm not traveling to buy because I have the money. Lord, is it thy will? And as I go into the plane, the Bible said the Holy Ghost assayed Paul. So in other words, the Bible said they went trying to get a ship. There was no ship, sir, because Paul was not hearing. He said they went as long as the border and there was no ship available for their journey. God was saying that it's not time. So sometimes when you don't hear in the room, God will use circumstances to say, go home. Go home. Go home. It's not time. It's not time. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the everlasting father. And it's amazing how Jesus calls himself. He said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Comma, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Hebrew says, Jesus, who is the Son, is the Father in eternity. The Son is also the eternal. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you something. So the whole point of time is this. Hear this. There's Kairos and Kronos. Now, Kairos is what we call process time. So the Bible says in Genesis 4 verse 3, and in the process of time, the Lord came. And Cain brought, Abel also brought. Now if they brought, it means there was a place. And if they were to bring, it means there was a thing. That's why God said, a sin offering waits for you. But you didn't take it. It means I have given you requirements by which you come before me. But Cain decided to come by his own terms. God said, if you do well, sin light at the door. It's not sin by sin offering. The opportunity to have been redeemed is waiting. Now, what he was trying to bring our minds to was this. The Bible says also in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed, for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And said, so when we were yet without strength, in due time. So Jesus didn't come at every time. He came in due time. What was that due time? Man felt sufficient. And so God had to find a location and a day where man will require him. In the book of Genesis, we see the first question. Chapter 3. Adam, where are you? That's the first question in existence. And God had been asking questions since. Since. But once upon a time, man finally found the answer. But the painful part is not from his people, from outsiders. They now came to respond to God. God has asked the question. No man has asked the question back. Then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, wise men from the east came and said, where is he? Born, that's the first question in the New Testament. Where is he? Born king of the Jews. Because some men are going pursuing God. So the pursuer, who is God, desires to be pursued, which is the reciprocation of love. What you read in 1 John 4, perfect love, is when love meets its end and it is reciprocated. He said that operation, there is no fear. That means intimacy is the solution to fear. If you are intimate with the Father, you know that I, you are afraid because you think God is not there. But when God is there, like Baba said yesterday, as soon as you hear the rattling of the window, you know it's an angel just blowing wind. As soon as the car shakes, you just ask a simple question. Which angel is disturbing my peace? You don't think about demons because you are intimate. In that realm, it's too holy and sacred for demons to invade privacy. So what is the purpose of time? Adam failed. God created Kronos to prepare for Kairos. How do I know this? Go read the Bible. Jesus came and said, in John 5, it was a feast. So he went up to Jerusalem. And when he got there, he saw a man at the well for 38 years at the pool. And he says, how long will you be here? He says, every season, an angel comes to stir the water. That's the same way that was used in Genesis 1.14. 
He created the sun, the moon, and the stars for times and seasons. The word season is muadim, sacred time. Check throughout Jesus' operation. It's either it was Sabbath, it was a feast or a festival. Jesus didn't do miracles ajah. Every time he did something, John 7, on the last day of the great feast, he stood in the temple and said, he that tested, let him come. It was always a feast connected to an action because God never performs anything outside his sacred moments. So can I show you a secret today? Sequential time, 20 years, 15 years, going to school four years, are all designed to lamp up for the day of his visitation. Adam didn't understand that Monday to Friday, Sunday to Friday, were preparations for Saturday, Sabbath. That means when you wake up in the morning, your mundane is a preparation for the divine. It's a preparation for the divine. God said, for this course, I called you, Moses. So I, learned, I allowed you to learn architecture. I learned, allowed you to learn controlling the armies. So that in the day I call you, by pedigree and training, you can handle three million people. You understand administrative structure much more. I cannot show what I'm come to show you to Joshua because he's not an architect. He grew up a slave. You are an architect. So see to it that you build according to the patterns because he was a master builder. Paul said, as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation. Matthew was a tax collector. The whole Matthew speaks about money. Luke was a doctor. He wrote more healings than any person. John was a mender of net. So when Matthew, Mark, Luke did synopsis, he said, you forgot one thing. He is a man in, my, in, 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 in the book of Luke. He is an ox in the book of Mark. He is the king in the book of Matthew. But you forgot one thing. As a God, he needs no introduction. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with God. And they wrote all the wrote in the epistles of the new creation. And he came first, second, third John. He said, beloved, if you say you sin, you lie. And the truth is not in you. Because some people had stretched the teachings of Paul. Even in Paul's day, he said, shall we continue to sin? Because grace will abound, God forbid. So John came to mend it. What his natural occupation was, was a delectable arrangement by God himself. So that in the day he brings the gospel, there's a way you appreciate it. Baba did history. So you can hear some of the things he shares. I did science. So there's a way I go about my teaching. There's a way God gives manifold dimensions to how we express him. And everybody is an individual fingerprint of the timeless God. So what is then time? Time is Kairos, an opportunity to pour all of eternity into a moment. But sometimes we are too spaced and too constricted with the flesh. Our feelings distorts us. Our mind is frustrated. No wonder Paul, Peter said in 1 Peter 1.22, seeing then that ye have purified your souls in the obedience of the truth, even as you love one another. Love one another with a fervent love. He was saying that when you obey the word, your soul is purified. And when your soul is purified, it is easy to relocate, translate, and manifest all of heaven in this realm. A lot of you have blocked heaven from showing up because of your pain, because of your past, because of your ego. But I love Ananias. He said, that man is a murderer. But when he heard the verdict of God, he is my servant whom I shall use. Do you know his change address when he saw Paul, my brother? Since God told you that person you hate is my servant, you've not changed your address because too much of you has blocked to everything of him. That is the last day generation. A generation that is so transparent. I say this with all humility as um, her 
the queen was speaking, I saw Jesus' face. One, two, three. And I saw men standing here. And they were like lanterns. And I said, Lord, what is this? He said, look well in the flame. I am the consuming fire. I prepared hell. Not hell prepared itself. I prepared it. So I put fire there. I am the fire. I am the consuming fire. I am the everlasting burnings. I am the devouring fire. Sinners are afraid in Zion. And the hypocrites are surprised. I am the everlasting burning. And I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said, be my lamp. Be open. So that just as your spirit is the lamp of the Lord, the flame of God shall burn through you. So that wherever you walk, you become light. Not smoking flax. Because you are glassy enough for God's light to come out of you. In business, you are not ignorant because there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives understanding. When confused, it means you have sabotaged and interfered with the flow of heaven with yourself. It's time to step away. Beside yourself and say, Oh God, use me. Use me and help me. Flow through me, unhindered, like a river, like a torrent. So people call me prophet. I've never called myself one. Not because I don't believe the title. All I prayed as a young man was, make me your laboratory, Lord. So when men don't believe you exist, in singing, in prophecy, in prayer, in fasting, in anything, in intelligence, move through me. So that everything you want on the day, you have no idea how many times I prayed to mount this stage because I didn't want to intercept what he planned to say. I had wrote notes. But God said, speak. As I allow. But preparation is indication you are ready to be used. But he will not use what was prepared. Horse were prepared for battle. It's an invitation for him to take over. Lift your hands to Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 